0: Welcome to the weekend sports cars, part of the Marshall Pyrrhic Podcast uh, collection. And as always, we start the show by saying thank you, thank you, thank you to those that support us. With this to Cooper Tyres, to the Justice Brothers, to Bell Helmets USA and to Toronto our sponsors. And of course, to my friend across the pond on a very special day for your great nation, Marshall Pruitt. Good evening, Marshall. What are you up to this evening?
1: How you doing, my friend Graham Goodwin? And hey, dear frequent listeners, Do you like the fact that we just shook things up, I normally open, Graham normally closes. We said, hey, it's a bit of a a topsy-turvy, upside-down world this week. Why not switch this up as well? So, (sighs) doing very well my friend it's a beautiful it's a new day outside it's a beautiful new day outside yes it is and i am i am looking forward to doing this show in the same way that about half the press releases we receive in our inbox mention that teams are or drivers are looking forward to the next event on the calendar so looking (laughs) forward my friend
0: well let's looking forward, and let's look a little bit back just briefly, because uh, it's been a tough year for absolutely everybody we, you know you've been very open and very clear about how tough it's been in particular in the Pruitt household, but I see in so many ways, Marshall Pruitt, a kind of sunrise on the horizon. great to see um that's beginning to see the opportunities you can find. For getting stuck deep diving back into the sports car uh, arena, um, more and more coming forward, and I know a lot more to come. But tell us a little bit before we get into questions. Um, I say good, sort of bad news, really. That the the story you had on uh, racer.com this week to do with BMW was that altogether a surprise? But tell the listeners exactly what that story is. Uh, because many people may have actually missed it in the melee of news we've had on other fronts this week.
1: Uh, I've been hearing about that for a little bit, Graham, that being in the unfortunate and ongoing uh, recession, if we're talking about GT Le Mans car counts, that with the Ford Chip Ganassi racing team exiting last year, taking us from eight full-time cars down to six, then Porsche's mm-hmm. announcement uh, months ago they would be leaving giving us what we'd anticip- what we'd anticipated as four full-time cars next year between BMW's two and Cadillac, Cadillac Corvette Racing's two. I uh, had been hearing of late that BMW might just be looking to downsize a bit and will likely, not confirmed, I haven't heard anything to say it's confirmed, but I've heard many things from well-placed sources, made a number of calls to try and get my uh, facts straight, that there is a very strong expectation that when BMW does their annual announcement of their plans for the following year in motor racing, that the uh, big and baller BMW mhet will be part-time participants in 2021 in the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship conducting the four endurance rounds at Daytona Sebring, Watkins Glen, and Petit Le Mans. So, yeah, sad, but inevitable, I would say. into to the first question or the first thing that you mentioned, yeah, uh, I feel a little bit bad about this, but I also realize that uh just had to make a decision with this year being what it's been. Turned upside down, schedules changing all over the place, uh, finances being really tough for everyone, media outlets included, reporters included. Uh, I normally, in a regular year, split my time about 50 50 between indycar and imsa and so in terms of written products and content for my main client uh really try and straddle that line about as even evenly as i can this year it really just was not an option i had to uh have had to pick the one series which is actually the most read uh the most advertised against and the the lifeblood that being indycar And so it's been weird and I've obviously stayed on top of my beloved sporty cars, but I just have not been in a position where I can be on the phone as much and staying stuck in, uh, to the degree that I'm normally accustomed to. So it's been awesome, Graham, with the IndyCar season being over for almost two weeks now (laughs) of just being able to wake up each day and go, yeah, of course there's still the IndyCar stuff I need to do, but, uh, getting stuck in to the degree that I love with sports cars, calling a lot of people, asking a lot of questions, and finding out a ton of things. It's a little bit that was reported uh, on Friday, and lots more to come next week. It's just been, I've felt so good that I can just be back at that normal place. So thanks for asking. Um, but yeah, the BMW thing saddens me, but this is everything that was never supposed to happen. This is where GT Convergence uh, or pervergence as we like to use on the show here. This is what GT convergence talks a few years ago was supposed to stave off was supposed to plan and prepare for and have us on a solid path. And in the absence of that, well, guess what? The market continues to vote. The market says, uh, so GT three, that's probably going to be the way you're going to need to go. And we we'll guess what it's exactly where we're headed
0: well there you go and uh you've shared a few of the uh the uh little well we we'll wouldn't call them snippets as uh, the stories you're on top of for the coming days and it's fair to say that they edge for the most part towards the positive and that gives us I think the very neat introduction for the point of the show where I select which way we're going to go in terms of our four major categories. And I think we're going to start with exactly that. It's going to be IMSA and we start with GTLM. What? About a couple a couple of stories on GTL, uh, GTLM. John Richter talks about uh, Ferrari and the potential for Scuderia Corsa maybe to come in as a GTLM team in 2021 in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. Uh, the question is about Ferrari. Do they care which class they're represented in, GTD or GTLM? Do they even care if they have a car on the grid at IMSA? Focus seems to be on Europe, even though the US is their number one market.
1: Well... Great questions, as always. The WeatherTech racing Scuderia Corsa side, uh, if I would be remembering correctly, Graham, Scuderia Corsa has been in GTLM. Not a lot, but uh, we have seen their presence there. We certainly know their efforts across the pond, uh, the WeatherTech side and such, and Scuderia as well, uh, running in GTE-AM. But uh, again, that's GTLM. Bum um,
0: bon Winners, remember?
1: Yes, Bum bon Winners in GTM. Exactly. So not totally unfamiliar places for them. Do I think this could be a friendlier and more successful shift for them? I would say so. Let's be really honest here. There are some teams and or drivers that are most concerned about being the best by beating the best. Put as many nasty opponents in front of me as possible. My character is such that I need to prove to the world I'm better than all of them and have beaten them handily. There's another approach that says, hey, just want trophies. Just want to win. And if it's against 10 nasty opponents or three, well, uh." Why do I need to bother myself with the volume of people I've beaten? If I can win, well, I'm a winner. Is there anything along those lines here? I don't know. Maybe. Uh, There are some folks who chase rings, titles, trophies, and otherwise. And that is often the thing where they receive the most value. Uh, Look at the the size of my trophy case and how much is in it. There are others who say, I might have fewer trophies, but (laughs) did you see what I had to do to get it? I'm not sure where this one falls. Uh, Part of me reacted when I heard, when I read about this, uh, that I wonder if they're going to a place that might just be a little bit friendlier and offer some better odds than gtlm because gtlm is currently nasty graham when it comes to trying to get onto a podium and i from what i know and some of the things we will be writing about here shortly it's only going to get nastier so you mean gtd sorry you mean GTD. Sorry, gtl yes G, i was about to say gtlm again. Aha. gt daytona so the timing might be right it's all about value systems and uh sh- yeah. So, hey, if I wanted better odds of winning, you yeah. know, look, I want a race in my Formula Ford going up against Form Atlantics and some other insane machinery. I want mm. it because they all broke. And so I didn't enter that class because it, I was one of like four cars or three cars and they all broke and I didn't in my little crappy Formula Ford. But I did get a flag, a checkered flag at the end of it for winning. And, uh, you know... I Actually, it's ridiculous, and it means nothing to me because I did nothing to win it. But for some folks, man, those trophies and flags sure do mean a lot. Um, Ferrari, in terms of presence, I would just say they sell cars. That's what they like to do. They like to sell them cars more than anything else. So if they can sell some to be represented in GTLM and GTD, great. If there was a mild concern about, hey, what if the uh, WeatherTech Racing entry, the number 63 Ferrari 488 GT3, turns into a 488 GTE, will there be any GT3 Ferraris in 2021? We're talking full-time campaign uh, in their absence. I would hope so. We'll have to say I haven't heard much about that being the case. So could we lose the one Ferrari that we have in GTD to GTLM and then not have the good old prancing horse there in the Pro-Am class, at least for next year? It's a possibility, but also with where things are headed for 2022, Graham, with uh, GTLM going away and uh, the GT3 Pro and GT3 Am, you know, Pro-Pro versus Pro-Am, Structure that we expect to see manifest, uh, it might just be a one year uh, one year thing.
0: Well, hashtag. Let's wait and see. Hey, there we go. Staring for the, uh, the the show this week. Uh, we carry on with the question in GTLM. This time moves from the factories to more contingent on the drivers. Uh, this one's around a like guy I've never heard of. Uh, Nike. Ta- Nick Tandy. Who? Nick Tandy. Apparently, um, I've never heard of him. Loser. Uh,
1: Just a loser. Uh, from what John I, the John Richter.
0: <laughs> Nick uh, John John Richter says uh, he heard on the Emsa broadcast Nick Tandy might be in line for the empty seats of Oliver Gavin at Corvette. Uh, should recognise, by the way, because that's happened in the period since we did the last show. Quick word about Oliver when we uh, finished the. Uh, the answer to this question: Any news on Nick or any of the other M. Soporta drivers' plans for
1: 2021? Haven't heard a thing. Other than listen, hearing the same thing that uh, you heard mentioned, I have a little bit of digging that I need to keep doing here. Would I be surprised to read a press release at some point in time in the near future? that uh, Nikolai Tandusky will be driving a Corvette C8R. It wouldn't surprise me if I was a member of the uh, Corvette racing team and or Chevrolet racing, GM racing's hierarchy and was looking to fill the now vacant full-time role that uh, our dear friend, beloved, beloved Oliver Gavin Uh, with his stepping away from full-time is made available, Uh, holy crap, I'd be going to him. Uh, I'd be going to Earl Bamber. I would be going to Lawrence Vantor. I'd be going to Joey Hand, Richard Westbrook. I'd be going to a number of drivers to inquire about their availability to fill that role. The odd part that, again, we know, well, Porsche as a factory team is leaving IMSA. What do they have to offer their factory drivers next year, uh, either in IMSA, in GTD, as the uh, attache to a customer program, uh, like we see with Patrick Long with the Right Motorsports entry and Ryan Hardwick and so on? What do they have in terms of Europe? Right, What do we have if we're looking at Weck, Elms, whatever it might be? Where might some of the factory pros in IMSA go next year? Are there enough quality seats, Graham, to offer them either in another class in IMSA or elsewhere in the world? And if there aren't, would some of those drivers who will not be competing in the 911 RSRs after next Saturday, would they be interested in doing gtd or customer programs somewhere else in the world that's another thing that just needs to be acknowledged and respected so we have a pretty good idea of what some of the drivers are going to be doing and i would say some might be more inclined to yeah i'll drive alongside pro-am person whomever and that's just how i keep paying the bills and you know this is more of a business decision than the expression of my competitive pro racing icon status. You might have some others that say, yeah, I don't know if that's me. Um, and if you don't have something frontline, top line, uh, truly thank you for everything you've done, but I might need to go explore my options elsewhere. Cause I don't want to be in name that pro am model. Would Nick Tandy in your opinion, Graham, Fit the? Yeah, I'll go do customer racing, or the no? I want to stay factory level and continue to beat the crap out of people at uh, in that kind of grade of competition.
0: Uh, the latter, I think it's fair to say. I mean, Nick Nick is ultra competitive, ultra competitive, and still very much at the height of his powers. Not beyond the realms of possibility, by the way. We've seen it happen before with. Uh, alliances between factories, that drivers can be effectively still under contract but allowed, uh, under the terms of their contract, to do other things for a year, maybe two years. Bear in mind, driving for a GTLM team, other than potentially at Le Mans, would not be putting a Corvette driver in direct competition with a Porsche driver, um, as far as we're aware. Uh, at the moment. So, not beyond the runs of possibility that it might not necessarily mean, if Nick is going to go and do this, that he would completely sever his links with Porsche. Um, lots of pieces in this jigsaw puzzle, uh, you know, as, as we've just reflected, a lot of news still to come, um, and that's just an IMSA. There's plenty more, by the way, on this side of the pond, and on the global side, uh, that we're kind of sitting astride at the moment. Um, <sighs> There are always pieces in that puzzle that may not be immediately obvious. Think, for instance, about the effort that took Raman Dumas and Timo Bernhard to Audi uh, for a year. A very successful year indeed, winning Le Mans with that team. Yes, as part of the same overarching company. But that was done uh, to ensure that those drivers got experience, otherwise wouldn't have got and to help the development program for Porsche coming into to uh, the LMP1 class. You know, these factories, particularly the motorsport departments, smart people. Um, if it did come down, though, to Nick's choice uh, as a driver, stay with a Porsche contract or go and find something that might give you, um, you know, further longevity to your career. Well, if that is the case... There's a very good example of longevity that's just left that seat, and his name begins with O, and it ends in Lever-Gavin.
1: Le Gavin, yes. And just the maybe the final thing to mention here, if we're just talking spirit, fighting spirit, I think you and I, Graham, and probably most of our listeners, conjure a similar mental image of the Corvette racing team, brash, American, red, white, and blue, beat up everything in sight. There's a fierce pride. It's a out loud, upfront pride in fighting like hell. If we need to bang wheels, we will. We'd rather be clean, but look, we, we didn't come here to tap dance. There's a real defined personality about this team, which is also reflected in its drivers. Again, some of their drivers are church mouse quiet, Others are more boisterous and and outrageous, but they all have that common theme uh, in their driving personality that matches the team. On the topic of Nick Tandy, he might not have known it all along. He's been the perfect Corvette racing driver in terms Mm -hmm. of his driving personality. I mean, again, the last guy you want to see in your rearview mirrors uh, going for Mm -hmm. the win because he's either going to pass you cleanly or you're going to get lumped up a bit but just a nasty dogged competitor and that fits the profile of corvette racing perfectly
0: Uh, did say before we started this question time for a, a moment or two about ollie gavin um known to all the drivers by the way as the captain And that's because of not just his seniority in years, but experience, but also his outlook, his attitude. Um, Not clear yet what Ollie is going to do with all of the hours now freed up by the fact he's not going to be a full-time Corvette driver. But I'll I'll defer to you first here. Just a few words about Oliver Gavin, his contribution to that programme and to the sport after nearly two decades with a single factory team. Just immeasurable.
1: We, we mourned the exit of Ian Magnuson because we just love the guy, right? And uh, he's amazing, and he's all everything that is awesome that makes us love this sport. Ollie has just been the Ollie has been the consistent quality leader, loud voice get your stuff straight, uh, get your stuff figured out, be absolutely excellent in everything that you do, work as seamlessly as possible with teammates, be ego-free when it comes to sharing uh, either grooming drivers, developing drivers, working with the team. It's pretty amazing to think, Graham, of how one driver has become so invaluable to that team and how this guy is just looked at as someone who is so directly responsible for so many of the positive things that have taken place. And there are of course many amazing drivers who preceded Oliver Gavin and who got the program up and running, led it for a long time, the Ron Fellows, Johnny O'Connells, etc. cetera. This is a guy who we can look back at and say, most tenured, most starts, all the championships, Le Mans, Daytona, Sebring, you name it, American Le Mans Series, IMSA, doesn't matter. This guy, he's the Hall of Famer of Corvette racing. There's, and so he is, For everything that Dan Binks was as a crew chief, we can say without a doubt that Oliver Gavin was as a driver. Um, Just, yeah, what if they have a (laughs) Corvette Racing Hall of Fame first ballot and uh, there's going to be a lot of people asking, hoping they can be the ones to give his, uh, his induction speech. Because he certainly certainly deserves it. So yeah, just hard to uh hard to over um over explain how much he has meant to the program. And also just, Graham, how he has kept their quality at such a high level for all of this time. <laughs> right? Uh almost unwavering. Of course they've had a down year here or there, but phew, just ridiculous so we'll just close because i'm going to speak with him at length on monday we'll have that in a podcast as well but i'll just close by saying he is due a thorough deconstruction graham of his greatness and what has made him so great for so long because in that deconstruction we're going to find a lot of things we don't necessarily know about And these aren't things he's going to tell us. Well, I'm great because of this. I mean, obviously, that's not Ollie, but these are things from his teammates, mechanics, program managers, and so on. Uh, This guy, I think his career, how he's conducted it, and what has led him to all the success, I think there's so much that we don't know about that would benefit young drivers, mechanics, engineers, you name it. I think there's a real lesson in Ollie Gavin's Full-time career that can truly benefit those in the sport uh, for a, quite some time.
0: Let's hope so. I mean, uh, the, the one the words I'd say here to add to that, and I echo every single syllable by the way. One uh, astonishing individual and person he's been through that career, but it's a word for Corvette racing, which let's not forget that uh, only came very, very close to a Formula One career, that didn't come his way for, frankly, reasons which don't really stack up. Do read into that. Um, and he could have been another one of those names that we list as a you know, a lost talent to the sport. Um, came in through a kind of slight... It was Intersport, wasn't it? And then uh, Celine. Um, and then picked up as a talent by Corvette and they stuck with him. Uh, almost immediate success, in fact, absolutely immediate success stuck with him through what is it four five iterations of their emerging product line and technology and and you know it it's it's not the modern way for a factory team to stick with however talented to stick with the guy that's been there for a long time. There's always a newer, flashier, louder thing. And they've not done that. And I think that's done them credit. I think it's hugely assisted that program because, of course, with that experience comes the opportunity to draw on that experience with things like development. uh, And they've consistently developed excellent incoming uh, race cars. Um, Whatever you decide to do, Oliver, I'm sure you're listening um, at some point, because if you don't listen in the first instance, uh, we're going to probably bad mouth you in the tweet, which means you definitely will listen. Um, but congratulations. Uh, I am in awe of what's been achieved in that period of time. I can tell you right now, there has never been ever a situation where I've come a knocking or asked or Bumped into in a pit lane or a paddock or a garage and you've not been anything other than welcoming and professional and for that I personally thank you and knowing full well that you're like that with absolutely everybody that comes uh, you know comes by the garage I've, I've brought people by to come and have a moment with their favourite team and it's very often been you that's been there as the ambassador to greet them and I thank you for that as well you have made our sport better through that time and you're an absolute example to absolutely everybody else uh, in the sport. You crack- Including Nick Tandy. Including <laughs> Nick Tandy.
1: He's <That> <laughs> a chump. Um, you <laughs> cracked open one item that I just. Uh, for those who haven't listened and I don't have the episode number in front of me, but you might do a little bit of searching on the Googs or uh, com. It's when I got Ollie and his former. British Formula 3 protagonist Elio Castroneves together, thanks to Ryan Smith from the Corvette Racing Team in particular for helping to coordinate uh, together at Long Beach to sit down three, four years ago. And it was so much fun looking back at the photos uh, from that 1995 season where Ollie won that title, right? And then uh, Formula 1 was kind of there, thereabouts, and I think did a little bit of F3000, but then... Sports cars ended up being the route he ended up pursuing. But we're sitting there talking. By that time, Ollie had already amassed, you know, this insane career in sports cars, by and large with Corvette, all these big victories and such and championships. Sitting next to a friend he hadn't seen for a long time in Elio Castro Neves. This is before the uh, Acura Team Penske. This is when he was still a full time mini car driver. And it just struck me, Graham. And maybe you'll hear some of it if you find that episode and listen back to it. Do not mistake Oliver Gavin, known as sports car driver, as guy whose talent was maximized and really best befitting of sports cars compared to some of the higher echelon championships. As you mentioned, Graham came close to a Formula One deal, crappy team. It wouldn't have been a happy thing for him. But sitting there with him and Elio and even just thinking now, what comes to mind for most people with Elio Castroneves? Three-time Indianapolis 500 winner. I believe 30 total IndyCar wins, 50 pole positions. Uh, this you know transcendent career in America. Had Ollie, had the opportunity to come over to America like Elio in and around that same time frame and find his way into IndyCar instead of Formula One. Let's not mistake ourselves uh, thinking that the guy that he beat to the British Formula 3 title, neither of them had ever done ovals by that point, so this is something the two of them would have to learn. But let's not confuse ourselves in thinking, oh, well, one was better fit in this higher echelon, and one was better in kind of what's referred to as maybe just below uh, top-tier open-wheel stuff. I have no doubt Oliver Gavin would be a multiple-time IndyCar champion can't tell you if he'd be an Indy 500 winner, but I can tell you that his talent would absolutely have him running in the top three, if not multiple-time champion in IndyCar, and there's no doubt for me about that. So uh, I just have all the, the respect for him in the world for what he did, where he ended up focusing his career. But if we could go back, Graham, 25 years or so, uh, where I think we're talking about him retiring as an IndyCar legend as well.
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And uh, just to put the cherry on the cake of that uh, sports car career, am just going to read for you now his Le Mans-class finishing positions for his first six years as a sports car driver. First of them was Celine from there on in That was 2001. Uh, from there on in with Corvette Racing. In 2001, with Celine, third. Then with Corvette, win, third, win, win, win. They were the first six years. Fantastic. Oliver, well done. Should really I mention, well
1: by the way, we're only two questions into IMSA. Holy crap, good. We better pick up the pace. But <laughs> Ollie certainly <laughs> deserved, kick- uh, deserved the time we spent. Right, so
0: let's kick it off. And oddly enough, the next one is Elio Castro Neves. Wow. Um, Uh, Daniel Summerskill, first-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, Daniel Summerskill asks, what was going on with Elio Castro Neves in the IMSA uh, race at Laguna Seca, battering the Action Express Cadillac off the road in practice, then rear-ending the three Corvette in the race? Not his finest weekend's work.
1: Yeah. Okay. So I received some information and advisement on this. And this is actually raised by our pal Ryan Terpstra on our weekend in IndyCar show. But, hey, uh, this is best fitting for weekend sporty cars. Um, Elio Castroneves this is an earmuffs moment. Elio Castroneves shit the bed is what he did. Uh, he absolutely did about the worst thing you can do, which is intentionally use his car not just as a battering ram, but in an abusive mindset. So we're not talking about two cars racing for the win, drag racing up towards checkered flag and bashing into each other, all in pursuit of glory. This is using your vehicle to try and do intentional harm to another car. And I guess by intent, uh, by extension, the driver inside, um, for those who haven't seen the little clip, I believe our, our pal, coms Ryan Kish, posted this clip, I think, on his uh, he he Twitter did. feed, which I forget the his Twitter handle, but find good old Ryan Kish and follow
0: Kish him. R-M?
1: Kish RM. Yeah, I thought it was Kish my ass, but I'm glad he changed that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I'm cursing here all of a sudden. Uh, coming out of the pits, we had, and this was in the very first practice session at uh, WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, for the recent IMSA round, coming out of the pits, which feeds onto the circuit. Um, uh, coming out of turn two, uh, we had Pip, uh not Pippo, Durani, Philippa Nazar pulling out in the number 31 Action Express Racing Wheel and Engineering Cadillac DPI VR. Believe that he saw, I know that he saw, that coming up behind him was one of the Acuras. I'm guessing he's seen them enough to be able to spot what number is what. And it was indeed the very same car that Mm -hmm. Felipe, his teammate, uh, Felipe Pippo Durrani, um, and also Ricky Taylor, who was driving that Acura at the time at Petit Le Mans, had their big end-of-race clash. And then the shouting match and all kinds of stuff going on uh, in post-race impound I've also heard that since we had a lot of drivers there uh, whose native language is Portuguese, that uh, beyond some of the things we saw in the discussions between English-only speaking Ricky Taylor and Pippo Durrani in English, that there might have been some uh, choice words in Portuguese going back and forth by some of the uh, rivals there. So things got heated, for sure, as we know. Well, guess what? First opportunity where these two cars came together Uh, At the next event, uh, pretty clear that Nazar tried to slow down and affect the at-speed Elio Castro Neves in the act he shares with Ricky Taylor. So, intentional effort by the 31 car to effectively ruin Elio's lap. Now, this is practice. This is not Mm -hmm. going to put you on pole or win the race. So, if we're talking about, Graham, ways to get payback... I would have recommended waiting to a later session because <laughs> this wasn't going <laughs> to hurt the accurate team in any way. But nonetheless, there was this, I would say, although the timing in the session was wrong, I understand it. I, I get it. You don't let people push you around. Sometimes you got to do the thing that you know you're going to get called out for, get penalized for. Sometimes you got to send a message. Well, okay. Timing of the message, session used for the message wrong, but that's what happened. Elio... Uh, I think already still on the boil from Petit Lamont, pulls alongside Pippo uh, to driver's left coming out of turn three and then just turns hard right. And so the Cadillac was already going somewhat slow. So there's no question of like, oops, they ran into each other. No. Uh, he turned hard right at speed and just bashed into the Cadillac, ended up doing more damage to his own car, the Acura, than he did the Cadillac but things were on from there. IMSA penalized them as best they could in the moment. I believe the Acura had to go back to the paddock for repairs and then reemerged, uh, served a penalty. The Cadillac served a penalty as well. There you go. Was that over? No. So what I've learned for those who haven't seen what happened, just described it to you. So now what really happened, Graham, afterwards? Um this is the part that surprised me and it surprised me in a good way there was pretty quick communication directly between team penske and action express racing from timing stand to timing stand using the sms function uh that they have and it became a pretty quick hey uh let's talk not hey let's talk but uh hey let's talk and i know the folks at penske uh after team penske realize whoa, that wasn't good. We, uh, n- no matter what happened at Petit Le Mans, we got to get on top of this right now. And that is what they did. Uh, I am aware, I believe, of Elio. It was either Elio or Tim Sendrick, I, I think I was told, from the Penske side. Went down to Action Express and uh, up, tried to defuse the situation, apologize, however you want to put it. Um... I've also heard that IMSA was staying abreast of this and monitoring what was happening between the teams and felt that they were taking responsibility to resolve it among themselves in a positive way, not getting the big tire irons and swinging clubs at one another, but actual positive solution here. And so IMSA, I'm told, more or less stayed out of it. We're ready to act, right, after the two in session penalties but actual hey do we need to find people park what do we where we have full latitude to do whatever we want they actually determined they didn't need to because the teams did a good enough job of fixing it themselves so on top of apologizing and such i am told that elio after the session went over to the action express team and hat in hand Uh, truly apologized to Nasr and Durrani and the team, but primarily to the drivers, since this was driver against driver action, and really and truly humbled himself, Graham, and owned owned it, didn't try and pass it off as anything other than what it was, but really uh, heart in hand made a sincere apology, and the teams, I guess at the managerial level, Uh, did a similar thing and made sure they were straight. And as a result, we didn't hear about it in terms of anything official from the series or otherwise afterwards because, frankly, Elio took ownership and did what he should have done, and that was accepted by Action Express, and they moved on and went racing. So I'll just throw this back to you, Graham. In the crazy world we have lived in for a while now, where people act nasty, boorish, unapologetic, you name it, where people just are maybe in a general sense showing the uh lesser versions of themselves how struck are you and and how great is it to hear that oh civility and mm-hmm. and positive reconciliation won the day without having to have senior officials in people who can apply leverage, forcing them to do it.
0: Uh, I think that's highly encouraging. I'm glad you said it because I was about to make a slightly veiled comment, an attempt at humor perhaps, uh, directed in exactly that direction. Um, maturity, actually, um, and civility is the right word for it, and sportsmanship. You know, hotheads, it's very easy to get there, isn't it? Uh, that one I think went on a bit too long, and it showed, didn't it, with the, that those both those behaviours uh, not being either gentleman's finest moment. But you know, let's hope that they can maintain that. We want to see these guys racing, and you know, it, it's very easy to see a move in isolation. Um, that was the move that that finally crossed the line without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, it was horrible to see, um, and. Well done for all parties if they've actually found a way forward and through that, and we can get back to what we all want to see, which is these guys duking it out in within the rule book uh, on the racetrack. We've got you know one of the most challenging ones of the lot to come at Sebring. We don't want to see that kind of behaviour there because there it can go really horribly badly wrong. Let's get it on, gentlemen, in the best fastest yeah and still badass way but i agree with you mp if it can be sorted out without having to refer to rule books and sanctions then that's the very best way forward and if everybody's learned a little bit because of that then you get a double bubble don't you for it it's um it's it's good to hear it's good to see now guys go and prove it out there and let's see you going wheel to wheel using the right side of the wheel uh this time um Right, we're going to push on, because we, uh, we we have indeed taken quite a time over a number of these questions. Do you want to choose a couple more from him, sir, before we move on to Wick
1: Yeah, so I will grab a again? couple here and do the new shotgun approach and mention that if we don't get to your question, as always, please send them back in. And the more hostile the resubmissions, the better, because those make me laugh. Oh, yeah. Uh, Spirit of Franconia. Uh, says, how do you rate Mazda's performances this year, especially after the split with Yoast? They had a good start at the two Daytona races. Uh, the second was dominant, but since then they never really performed in that way again. Uh, were they on the downside of hashtag BOPenis, uh, which were never really altered? We know that the higher speed, more flowing circuits tend to benefit the vehicle dynamics of the Mazda. We also know that, Cadillacs have not always had the kindest BOP to work with. Things have improved a bit towards the end of the season. Acuras have really been in a pretty darn good sweet spot. And there's been a, I'd say, a pretty apparent thing. We've mentioned it on the show before. But of all the DPIs, the Acura has stood out to me as the best overall package from the first race to the last whether it's a street course big speedway like Daytona super bumpy lots of turning at uh Sebring uh you name it it's it seems to be the most universal tool of all the DPIs and i would say this year has really seen a demonstration of that being the case could i say there are some places where BOP would have certainly helped the Mazda's more yes there have been some events where I've been very surprised at how la- how uncompetitive they've been. Only quick thing I'll add to close this spirit of Franconia is when they went on their three-race win streak last year and broke their duck, got their first win in DPI. My thought for the Mazdas was, that's awesome, but now that they've gotten through and done this, and it's some of those, the BOP was certainly in their favor, Ooh hmm. I wonder if this is going to hurt them next year, because now that we have not only seen them win, but win handily, those are the kinds of things that cause organizations that use BOP to be mindful. It's that weird thing, Graham, of you want to win, but you never want to look good doing it. You want to look like, oh my goodness, all the stars aligned and we got lucky and win. The last thing you really want to do in a BOP series is have one or more performances during the season where the people in charge of the technical side remember your performance and go, man, do you remember that time where that brand just mollywhopped everybody? Uh, You you can do that once and probably get away with it twice, maybe three times, which is kind of sort of what Mazda had happen. Uh, it just stood out to me like, oh, man, they're not going to forget this. And I'm not saying that's it, but I think there might be a shade of that to consider here. Uh, Andre Good, you ask about there only being 31 entries for the second biggest race in the calendar. Low car count can't just be because the race moved November, can it? Uh, There has to be another factor involved here. Uh, I'd say it is. And not just because of COVID, not just because of whatever, would say that, Graham, it's not totally uncommon to see a scenario where if uh we've gone through a long or trying season if there are teams that realize they have no chance either of a championship or a meaningful championship position that they might choose to skip uh that's one thing to keep in mind we see that happen all the time in a variety of championships where uh that's an option would also say that for some of the rounds that we've seen featuring, what, GTD Sprint, right, the non-endurance races, not a surprise to see some of the cars are committed to only the Sprint rounds, not on the uh, the big long season finale here. I uh, would say also the financial side too, yet again, it's been an expensive year for everybody. Uh, a lot of concerns about money for next is competing at Sebring or saving that money and hopefully better securing your 2021 season, the right play to make. I'd make it if I had to. Uh, LMP two is certainly not a thing that has blown up to the, if this were a March Sebring Graham, do I think the LMP two count would be double probably, uh, but it's not. So a couple of these things here, Andre, I'd say have us at 31 instead of 35, six, seven, um, Yeah, I think, though, when we get back to Sebring next year with the 10 to 12 LMP3s thrown in, uh, we're not going to be talking about 31 entries. Uh, Alex Eichmiller, quick thing here about, uh, hey, any topic mentionings of late about Ricky Taylor trying to get into IndyCar? Do you think it's still a possibility? Uh, There's been a variety of desires and possibilities for that to happen. I've heard about none of them as being realistic for 2021 i'd love to see it i think the kid would be a rocket but uh, i'm not aware of that happening at all last one i'll take or we'll take before moving on Otto kinzel says uh hey marshall hoping your lovely wife are feeling healthy and okay steven simpson big fan any news where he will be in 2021 hoping he'll be back in one of the IMSA prototype classes don't know love myself some steven simpson as well should reach out and ask would hope he'd still be part of uh, JDC's DPI efforts in some capacity. But yeah, this is a guy who should be overemployed instead of underemployed. And I hope that's the case. But I'm going to make a note here to reach out and ask our fine South American who is now, what, for the last year, two years, an American citizen. South African. South African? South African. What did South I say? African. American? Yes. Oh, uh, well, South American. Uh, you said South American. No, no, no. Or did I blend the South African and Americanness? <laughs> I don't know. I'm drunk.
0: Uh, we move on, I just wanted to just um, just add a little bit of uh, breadth to that question about IMSA and car counts. If your primary series of interests is IMSA, please don't think it's just happening on that side of the pond. Everywhere is struggling for numbers. Oddly enough, I'm at one race this weekend at Silverstone for the final round of the British GT Championship, where it bucks the trend. We've got 38 cars, including 20 GT3 cars. Uh, here for this weekend but a lot of that is because it's teams filling in for programs that otherwise have been a bit sporadic but just about everywhere else we'll have a reduced car count for Bahrain next weekend and uh, that's where I'm heading to on Monday uh, if that flight isn't cancelled which most of them have been um, we're going to th- see the same with the Intercontinental GT Challenge uh, in Stephen Simpson's home, um, home market in South Africa. South with, America. I- uh, I'm hearing significantly fewer than 20 cars expected for that race uh, to be confirmed. But this has been a long, hard year in very, very many ways. Um, I, I've got a story to write about another team and was was actually heartened to hear what they had to say. they <laughs> uh, uh, They're going to be ducking out of some commitments they've made in the early part of next year. Why? Because... They're showing concern for their people. Mm. Uh, it's been a heavily concentrated year. Uh, they've realised the impact on their people and on the machinery um, has been very heavy in a in a kind of condensed program. Um, probably doing racing more often you'd ever see these cars. Uh, uh, racing which has put uh, uh, you know, strains on all sorts of things and they've pulled out of a couple of additional races they plan to do in the early part of next year so that they can just take time to breathe. Spoke uh, MP to one team manager for a GT team in Europe. Uh, caught him in his car coming back across France from another race and he told me he has been on the road for 17 straight weeks. Um, had not been home for 17 weeks. OK, wow. uh, actually, ha- actually skipped a race to come home to spend some time with his family. Uh, it's not every team that's been doing uh, working like that, but a lot of them have been. And in this instance, we're going to give, I think, the slightly lower car counts at the end of this year, a bit of a buy and hope we can push harder again in 2021 and beyond. Uh, it's going to be tough for some time. We need to be you know, mindful of where things are in terms of car counts and car counts across classes. But uh, my appeal to our incredibly knowledgeable uh, audience MP is not to let that be your guiding principle. I'd suggest right now a really good thing to do, switch it about. Concentrate not on who's not there, but who is there, and thank them for it, and find your ways to show appreciation for that because there's never been a tougher time to put a car on a racetrack. Truly, it's it's a tough time out there for everybody. I was hearing today at Silverstone from a team owner I've known for a decade that he's finally given up uh, the fight and will be selling uh, his team. Uh, the news of that will be tomorrow. It's not a sports car team, but we're selling his team. Um, it's really sad to see it, but I understand why we've got to that stage for very many of these teams, and I think there will be more. Um, so for now... Let's celebrate the people who are managing to get it there, and let's show some sympathy and understanding to the ones who are properly struggling right now. I think it's your turn, mate.
1: Well, but you're the official selector.
0: Well, come on. Let's go to Workhouse Elms, and Echo, the ACO rules racing section of the weekend sports
1: cars. All right. And depending on how well I do this, it could be W-E-E-K. W-E-A-K in sports cars. Good Lord, I can't even talk with my face anymore. United Autosports is the topic from our pal Richard Cooper. Mm -hmm. Graham, if United Autosports were to take all of their auto entries at Le Mans, uh, do they have enough Arecas to fill them? Do they still have any Ligés? I would assume he's talking about LMP2. Can they use an entry to run a car for another team? Maybe Prue Win Racing by United Autosports. Sports. By the way, happy birthday to Zach Brown, whose birthday is today. And I shot him a text and said, hey, I know at our age, these are things we actually try not to remember, <laughs> celebrate. But happy birthday nonetheless. And he sent back a little laughing, um, smiley face.
0: Yeah, Astonishing story this year from United Auto Sports. Uh, and Richard's absolutely right. Multiple uh, auto entries earned. Uh, not just with uh, the entry they get for being a WC entrant, but an Amon win, that brings one. WC Championship win, that brings one. ELMS Championship win in LMP2, that brings one. Uh, ELMS, uh, sorry, the WC1 doesn't bring one. My apologies, that's my bad. Uh, ELMS second place in LMP2, they finish 1-2, that brings one. ELMS LMP3 win, that brings one. So the potential is... Um, even if they only enter one LMP2 car in the WEC. And I can tell you right now they are targeting two. That was well picked up by one of my competitors from a snippet in a run through the field for the LMS and WEC, what we expect next year. Um, So they are looking potentially here at the opportunity for multiple entries. The rule book says all sorts of things. Um, We've seen teams bring multiple, multiple entries in past years. Uh, I know there's people trying to pour cold water on the prospects of getting more than two. Um, But this is before you go in and negotiate and tell them what you plan to do with those entries. Remember some of the drivers that the team has brought to the Le Mans 24 hours in the past. On Pablo Montoya, for instance, with one of their cars in the recent past. Um, They've got a good record of making a good case to get the attention of the ACO. I think they will be working very hard to fill, if they possibly can, more than two cars. I think they've got a good case to bring forward to say, here's the package we would like to bring if we did bring more than two cars. And more to the point, they've earned the right to bring more than two cars. Um, we've seen it with Jota Sport in the past, uh, where effectively the two commercial entries handed over to Oak Racing. We've seen it more often in the GT World. They, of course, for instance, um, in GT Pro had three. Uh, fairly recently, Dempsey Proton slash Proton Competition with multiple entries, uh, Team Project One, Iron Links in their debut season with three. So, uh, certainly, whatever the rule book says, there is always a provisor that says the selection committee's decision is final. And that can work in your favor and it can work against you. Richard Dean and Zach Brown, with the team they're putting together, it's a team of the very highest quality. And my guess would be that uh, in a year where we're expecting there to be some struggles to get some teams to bring uh, full season packages to the table, that that's a very good bet for high-quality entries for the ACO for the biggest race of the year. So answer is at the moment, there's all sorts of ways you're going to read a real book. Um, Are they entitled to it? Only if the selection committee say they are. Do I expect them to want more than two? 100% yes. Wow. Oh, by the way, so the other answer is, um, do they have enough Oricas? The answer is they have three. Uh, they have one brand-new car that is uh, for this season. That is the car that races in the WEC. They have the 2 XJDC Miller cars. Um, so they're the two cars, the 22 and the 32 from the EMS. And, yes, they do have uh, Ligier LMP2 cars. Still, I think one or two of those cars are still at their extraordinary new facility in Yorkshire.
1: And aren't they still officially aligned with Ligier Graham, or has that changed? Uh,
0: No, no, that went went away when they switched to the Oracle chassis and LMP2, so they're no longer operating as Ligier UK, but they are still... Yeah, firm friends with Ligier. Remember, they've, they've won the LMP3 championship with the Ligier chassis. Uh, the first LMS winners, of course, with the new JSP 320.
1: Yeah, because uh, I'm also thinking like- about, I believe, the announcement that they're going to bring a couple of Ligier, new Ligier P3 cars to uh, to at least Daytona next year. Uh, I, so- I think
0: you're going to see I, – I, well, I can tell you. I mean, it's in a uh, news item we posted earlier today on Daily Sports Car is amongst the people who were um, – were Testing at Portimo on the Monday after the LMS, Gunnar Jeanette and his uh, driving partner for, through the year, Roberto, uh, Roberto Salas, were, were in one of those cars with a view to evaluating whether or not they might be part of that effort for the Rolex 24 hours at Daytona. So they're very serious about bringing LMP3 cars to uh, the States, they're very serious about bringing LMP3 cars to the Asia Le Mans series as well. So we've got a question coming about that very soon in the order here. Um, it, it, this is an extraordinary team. Uh, you know, it gets a lot of flack for uh, allegedly spending an awful lot of Zach Brown's money. Not the case is the straight answer. Uh, you need to look very hard at who is actually funding those efforts. Um, And the way in which they structure the money they receive from variety of of angles, most often commercial sponsorship or drivers bringing budgets, how they decide to mobilize that to get the best possible advantage of their programs. And boy, oh, boy, did they deliver in 2020. I can't see those records being beaten for a long, long time.
1: Let us swiftly move on to right turn lover. So, LMP2 testing with reduced power gram. Did any drivers hmm. fall asleep or write haikus on the straights?
0: Oh, right turn, love you, cynic. <laughs> um, this gives me an ideal opportunity, by the way, to say uh, I hope probably Monday, uh, maybe when I'm in the air on the way to Bahrain, I'll be popping up onto Delhi Sports Car and I'll try and rewrite a version of that for uh, Racer.com as well. Excellent catch-up with John Falb. Um, uh, he was part of the effort uh, that Goodyear and Gibson fielded at the Portimao test, and John unpicks beautifully uh, exactly what it was they were testing. Uh, what I can tell, right turn lover, they weren't just testing one way in which to reduce the power by. It's about 40 horsepower, 30 kilowatts. Um, it it didn't make a huge difference in terms of lap time. It was something like eight tenths to a full second translates to three to four seconds at Le Mans, although the, the difference is going to be accentuated at Le Mans because of the nature of that circuit with a lot more time on full power. Um, talked as well about the program and very impressive program that uh, Goodyear uh, going through for their 2021 tire selection as the uh, sole tire supplier in LMP2 in, WC, in, in LMS, and has, by the way, plenty to say about the way in which the future rule book is being negotiated or not. It's a, a really good insight into what motivates a gentleman driver and for that matter, The role that clearly is valued by both Gibson and Goodyear uh, in the role of a a gentleman driver, in this case, multiple gentleman drivers, in helping to test the cars that they will be driving. And let's not forget, be paying for in 2021 and beyond. So the answer here is um, no, they didn't get bored. He does have some some very positive things to say and some negative things to say about the way the package uh, is coming together. Um, but it's, I think, a cracking insight into the mind of one of the um, the cream of the crop of current bronze-ranked drivers uh, in sports car racing. Watch out for that, I hope, no later than Monday.
1: We're going to Tigera 380. What are your exceptions, I think expectations was the intended word, your expectations for the size of the Asian Le Mans Series entry, considering the change of venue and new restrictions?
0: Okay, right. That's a great question. We are waiting with bated breath for that. I have information that I cannot and will not be publishing yet. Um, I'm expecting it to be very healthy indeed. Um, That's a mark of two or three things. It's a mark of the fact that we've not had much racing in Asia. Therefore, there are car owners that are very keen to get some uh, some racing miles on, on themselves and their machinery. And the Middle East is close enough to, to make that a possibility. I think, as we've said before on Twisk, the uh, the idea from Cyril Teichvalen and Pierre on to have this condensed timetable initially in Southeast Asia and now with these four races over effectively three weeks or three weekends um, has got real appeal it's something that people feel they can plan for which is a massive gap at the moment for very many people in racing um it's something that is certainly going to save them money and there's all sorts of figures being banded about but it's a significant saving on money they can win um automatic entries for Le on by success in those classes it's a third thing um and uh, at this point with all sorts of restrictions across Europe and the rest of the world, actually going and having some time in the sun at what is a really excellent motorsport venue and with you know with great hotels and great facilities it's the, could, could be worse places to be in February couldn't there uh, is the straight and honest answer. So uh, the answer here is I'm expecting a good to great entry. Can I give you numbers? No, I can't. In terms of expressions of interest, it is a record-breaking level of uh, interest in this series. Uh, And I think we're going to see very good entries in every class. And that is LMP2, LMP3 and GT, which is for GT3 cars. I've been in conversation with more than one team that has never raced in the Asian Le Mans series before that almost certainly will bring multiple cars. Simple as that. Um, the fact that we've actually got two significant races in the same region in the weeks before that with the 24 hours of Daytona, Daytona, sorry, of Dubai uh, and the Gulf 12 hours uh, and just you know, under a month before we start with the uh, Asian Le Mans series can only be a good thing. So I think what we're expecting is a very good entry. It could be an extraordinary entry. Uh, But I don't like to predict those things before formal entries and indeed the money to back them up arrives on the table. What I can say is that I think the venue, uh, the organizing team and the teams themselves and the partners for the series are doing an extraordinary job to add confidence at a point where that is the missing ingredient with very many calendars moving forward.
1: Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's see. We got a few more. Let's see where shall we wander next? Why don't we go to Bob at Car Stuff? Can you mm-hmm. get our hopes up and let us know a list of any LMDH manufacturers that have said anything that you found to be interesting towards them joining? And I'm I guessing think, think, is this, this th- aimed towards WEC or is this a misplaced idea?
0: I think it's no. I think it's both. I think the the answer here is we're all waiting with bated breath as to who's going to transfer that interest from being sitting in a technical and rules making committee to putting their cards on the table and saying we're going to come, we're going to come, and we're going to do this. Uh, I think we've got a little while to wait for most of that. There are there is still really very positive indications that we're going to get the potential for multiple uh, manufacturers committing. When will that be? They've Thursday. Got time. <laughs> Thursday at 3 o'clock. Um, you know, we've said before, Honda, you know, there's good signs that that's very close. Porsche are formally evaluating that. They've told us that publicly. Um, I'd be surprised if we didn't see something positive coming from them. I think there are positive signs coming from a number of other manufacturers, both in Europe and the States. Uh, I think we've just got to show a little bit of patience. I'll I'll say this. I expect there to be more interest in hypercar emerging right now. I think that um, anybody that thinks the story for that class finishes with, uh, with Peugeot coming in 2022 may well prove to be wrong. Uh, I think uh, there's potentially more to come. And I'm not just talking about the potential for Ferrari. I think there are others that may opt for that rule set. LMDH, I think, is is going to be encouraging, good, or extraordinary. Extraordinary at the moment feels like a stretch simply because of where we are in the world. Um, I think good has got every chance of becoming a reality. And certainly in terms of the, the, the people I speak to in positions of determination, and decision in motorsport, I am still hearing very positive things. And I'm not just talking from the organisers' point of view. I'm talking here from manufacturers' points of view as well. There are a lot of people working very hard to make things happen. Um, you know, I think we're going to lose some manufacturers to sports car racing in the coming years, whether that be GT manufacturers or uh, people involved who are, are currently or are, are, you know uh, are, are currently involved or have been involved recently in prototype racing. But I think we're going to gain some as well. Um, it's it's an exciting time. It's a frustrating time. Uh, but I think we're going to start to see very many more clues as to the routes that manufacturers take to get to that point. And there's one at the moment that uh, Marsh and I were talking about before I came on air that I'm chasing up right now, uh, that if they do, this manufacturer does choose that route. There are multiple good news stories on the road towards a potential prototype program for that manufacturer. Um, so, Hashtag let's wait and see. Um, Trust us with what we've told you already that's going to be coming from the pen of Marshall Pruitt in the next few days and with what I'm hoping we can be working with um, in the coming days for daily sports, Racer.com. There is plenty of good news out there. You might have to be just a little bit more patient before we can bring you that with
1: confidence. Yeah. All right. Where else are we going, my friend? Matt, hockey. Mm. Hawkins 96 Matt Hawkins with the lowish numbers for the WC Bahrain finale. How many do you expect to be on the grid for the 2021 season? Graham, obviously taking into account that the LMH teams have already said uh, about being on the grid in time. So what do you think we look like for WEC round one,
0: 2021? Um, (sighs) Round one being Sebring. Um, And if, okay, let's say it out loud, if Sebring happens in the way that um, it's meant to happen and if it happens as a double-header race. I'm not saying that with any knowledge. I'm saying that because I think lots of things are in some doubt at the moment. Uh, I think the numbers for Weka are looking very healthy, very healthy indeed. I know of one team that has been told, no, you can't have the car that you've asked for on the grid. And this is a very well-established team that's looking for a multi-car entry. So the answer here is... I'm not going to turn around and say they they are full, but if you think about what they generally have tried to do to make it sustainable is, is make a maximum of 32 cars. That's what we've had. We've had more than that, but that was, I think, with confidence that they wouldn't get all 34 for the full season, which proved indeed the case. So they've been looking previously at a maximum of 32. Let's do, as you incorrectly say across the, the pond, the math. Um, we know of potentially six top-class cars for much of, if not all, of next season, those being the two Totas, two Glickenhaus, a Baikolis, and a Signatech Signatec Alpine, a grandfathered P1 car. We know of the likelihood, still to be confirmed, of six GT Pro cars, the two Ferraris, the two Porsches, and the two Aston Martins. That makes 12. That leaves us uh, trying to fill Twenty. If you look at uh, what we're expecting in terms of LMP2, I think they'll be just shy of double figures for that. It may be better, but I think that at the moment we can be reasonably confident of eight or nine cars for that. Which to get to thirty-two then leaves you just into double figures for GTEM, and that's not a stretch. We know already that Porsche have sold ten new 911 RSRs for service in 2021. And we don't know where all of those are going, but because of the reduced calendar, just six races for the FIWC, some teams that would never have been talking about WC in terms of budgets, because there are too fewer flyways, it now comes rather closer to where they're comfortable funding those efforts. And by the way, of course, also comes with a guarantee you'll go to Le Mans as well. So in terms of numbers, I'm expecting WEC to be very healthy. It's a straight answer. Um, you know, Would the, the governing body prefer that the balance of the numbers of cars was more in the top tier and GTE Pro? Well, of course they would. But if I think right now, if they can fill their grid, they'll take that. Beautiful.
1: All right. Uh, Robin Crickman asked a question about what can be done or what is being done to peg back LMP2 engine yep. performance. Do you want to answer that, Graham? I can fill in some I, if I needed. Could, I,
0: I can tell you exactly what uh, the score is. Now, at the moment, uh, what's been tested, uh, both at Portimao mm. and then at uh, Smoto Aragon, were at least two different solutions. It involves some uh, hardware changes. So I can tell you, for instance... Um, it requires new exhaust. It requires, I think you would call the states mufflers. It requires new velocity stacks, in our word, trumpets, and it requires a new exhaust manifold um, for the cars. And there are some mapping changes as well for the cars. So, generally speaking, what it means is they're reading the cars back in. There is less top end uh, for those cars, and you'll you'll read in the coming uh, days what John Farbs uh, very. Um, uh, clear description is of the way that manifests itself from the driver's point of view. But like I say, I can tell you the difference on a regular ELMS circuit, for instance, is uh, depending on who you you, uh, listen to and what you look at from the timing, between 0.8 of a second and one second. Um, I stood and listened to the cars, because we had cars running both in 2020 spec and 2021 spec at Portimao. And You can hear that the shift um, points are different, but there's not a massive difference in terms of the soundtrack of that engine. There's maybe a hint at the top end of a little less bite in exactly the same way as a little less bite uh, to the, the, the engine notes between the, Uh, 2017 Porsche 911 RSR and the cars will be hearing in private hands next year with the, the new old new uh, rear exhaust, Uh, not a great difference in terms of the tone, but the top end, the ping, if you like at the top end of the rev range is a little bit less. So I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as people think it is. It will be different at Le Mans where they're going to be, you know, on the rev limit for a lot longer. Um, there's a lot of other things, though, that are up for grabs in terms of the debate about those cars and the way in which the, the new spec is being presented.
1: Let's see. Are there any others you want to grab before we move on, my friend? I'm looking uh, at where no, no, we are on the just... good old clock. Oh, boy. Uh, right. Yeah. Safe, safe.
0: Phil says, simple one, how to watch WC final round for free, hopefully. Uh, on the app, uh, not for free, with apologies. I believe Motorsport TV are running that, whether or not that's behind their paywall or not. I don't know because I've never watched it, with my apologies to the people in yellow and black. Um, keep an eye out on the WC website. They always, always uh, issue details of how you can follow the race um, free and paywalled. Uh, I think we'll get quite a good one. I think people are in a good mood for this one. And we've got a, a, a few Changes the driver lineups that should keep things interesting we 've still got some championships up for grabs, so the answer is um i 've not yet seen the final broadcast list where i 'll be flying in because of the lack of available flights a few days before we're required on site, and I will be as always. Uh, putting out a series of stories before the weekend, both with previews for the race, but also how you can watch the racing that will happen next weekend. And remember, next weekend is a very big weekend in sports car racing with the season finales for the WEC, for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports SportsCon Championship, the 12 Hours of Sebring, and for GT World Challenge Europe, very many of the teams have had to switch from flying to driving, and it's a long way from the UK. Uh, down to the south of France, and some of these guys have been have done it three and four times this season. So um, keep an eye on the WEC, uh social media feeds, their, their websites, and for that add-on Daily Sports Go, and we'll try to bring you details of exactly how you can follow the race.
1: Got about 15 minutes left, my friend. Okay. Where shall we go for our last two categories?
0: Should we go to General for a couple?
1: We shall. Let's see. I'll... Why don't I give your voice a quick break? I'll take uh, mm. the top two here in Hegeneral And then, yeah. So, Neil Hardy, many series have announced calendars for 2021, which assume that everything can be reset to November 2019 and racing can return to normal next year. How realistic do you think this is? And what contingency plans, if any, are you aware of if COVID continues to haunt us through 2021? Brilliant observation here, Neil. Uh, it's certainly something that's been in the back of my mind, and I'm sure many, uh, for many folks who work in the sport, and that is, yeah, we as humans do this weird thing where we equate uh, Happy New Year's and January 1st with some sort of automatic changing of everything and the virus doesn't know uh, dates, times, or otherwise. So, indeed, we have a new calendar to look forward to across all the various championships that we love. But does that mean those championships will be carried out as planned on the schedules that have been announced? Uh, will Here's, the, I'd say, probably the main question, Neil. Do I expect some things to get moved or shuffled? Possibly. Uh, I think we've done enough this year with racing, where IMSA, WEC, you name it, have learned how to go racing without fans, with having to do testing and all the safeguarding, and teams, drivers, crews, PR officials, you name it, everyone has a lot of repetitions, a lot of reps doing this. So I think we're talking Rolex 24 in January, WEC and IMSA together at Sebring, and then both of these championships in particular just taking off and running schedule is normal do i think that can happen as is without shuffling the uh calendars again i do biggest contingency though is hey has your country locked itself down (laughs) because they haven't gotten their stuff together i know my country hasn't locked itself down and hasn't gotten its stuff together but just big picture will graham the x amount of drivers that compete full-time in IMSA, who live in the U.K., will they be able to get on flights? Or, again, pick whether it's international travel, domestic travel here, in and around Europe. That's the thing, Neil, where we can't really say because while I don't think the races themselves will need to be scratched and moved so much, they're just, in a general sense, I think the thing we're going to have to track is how are the various countries fiefdoms and otherwise handling these things are they getting better and are some places saying nope not coming in or if you do you're going to need at least two weeks of uh quarantine and who knows maybe your country is going to want two weeks of quarantine when you go back does that fit your timeline can you do that <laughs> or are we going to have are we going to have a big enough problem where travel to IMSA or WEC or ELMS or Asian Le Mans series round whatever might need to be Uh, canceled or moved to later because of the virus. So I'd say at least here in the U.S., for those, Graham, who are primarily based here and might not have to do a lot of uh, leaving this lovely land of ours, I don't foresee any issues with uh, the IMSA calendar being completed as scheduled. But for those that involve a lot of travel and gaining access hey, we need to go north to Canada for here, or there's Canadian crews needing to come down. Again, all the border and travel stuff, that's going to be what dictates whether we do see changes. Um, why don't we go with one more here that I'll take from Nicholas Cahout. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if I'm murdering your last name, but I apologize if so. Uh, says, there are plenty of female pit reporters, but I've not heard any female play-by-play or color commentators pass. Shea Adam Calling the IMSA Lamborghini Super Trofeo races. Uh, Nicholas asks, Why does the longevity of mostly very good booth commentators diminish opportunity? Uh, when do you think we will see a change happen? Who would you pick from the current group of reporters or presenters to do it first? Mentions, I think the uh, WTCR's Alexandra LeGou would be. Legui? Would yep. do a great job of calling a race. Wonderful question.
0: Uh, Alex is is great, and I think she'd do fine uh, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, It is a very different discipline, I would say that much. I have done a very limited amount of pit lane reporting, and it's very hard work indeed. Um, It's, by the way, particularly hard work at the moment with COVID restrictions. That's that's a whole different kettle
1: of fish, but it's a
0: very well-observed
1: point. And I would say there would need to be an intelligent, articulated desire for those who are in charge of television production to make this happen. It strikes me as odd, Graham, knowing that when I watch some of my favorite stick and ball sports here in the good old America, it is not uncommon to have a woman as one of the one or two or three lead broadcasters Uh, whether she is a reporter a veteran reporter someone that might have some playing experience or whatever or maybe just a straight former player it's not uncommon to hear female voices opinions analysis and there seems to have been in the last year plus a greater initiative for some sports to say hey Yeah, it's been a sausage party forever. Maybe we should not continue being those idiots who only think of this as a boys club because mostly men do the racing. Why don't we actually be evolved human beings and say, huh, why don't we have, you know, crazy concept, both genders represented uh, and believe that maybe uh, Shea Adam is not a unicorn and there are other women, whether it's pit lane reporters or whatever. Who could do a mighty fine job in the booth. Uh in NASCAR here, we there's certainly some, and that's great. Uh that's been a that's really the one standout series I would say here in America, Graham, among uh racing operations. But yeah, whether it's Imsa, uh World Challenge, IndyCar, Yada Yada Yada, if you hear a woman's voice in the broadcast, it is almost exclusively from Pit Lane and I can only say or hope that some of the folks who are in charge of these decisions decide to, I don't know, join the times and say, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is dumb. It's truly dumb. And there's no good reason for it to be a sausage fest. So can't really speak to what you might watch across the average European racing series that I wouldn't, uh, capture as well. But, I know that over here, we're doing a piss-poor job.
0: Um, I think to, to finish off, because it's pushing on, isn't it? Let's gather a couple of from our fun section to finish, MP. How about uh, I choose one, you, you choose one? I'm going to start with Motorsports86, who says, a couple of shows ago, you talked about a model car John Doonan had. He was trying to get an autograph. He says he has way too many 118th models, he brings them to him for a Sport Reunions for autographs. Do you happen to own any? And if so, what are your fa- uh, some of your favorite ones? I'll answer quickly. I'd love to hear what you've got uh, on the shelves, MP. I've got a bundle of um, 118th sports car models on the bookshelves in the office, uh, most of which are owned by my son. Uh, amongst the favorites, uh, what have I got? There's a weathered uh, Corvette uh, C5R, the Daytona winning car. Uh, sits on those shelves. There's uh, uh, a Momo Ferrari 333 I'm particularly fond of, Uh, multiple GT1 cars, Lotus Elise GT1s, I think there's four, Uh, every generation of Porsche 911 GT1 and some GT2s as well, and short and long-tail McLarens, they all sit there uh, with a group of LMPs as well. I think all in all, on the shelves in the office, there may be 20 to 30, uh, 118th cars there's uh, some new shells going in uh fairly soon so i can actually free up some space on the bookshelves for you know it's a crazy idea books um that uh that might be the one what about yourself mp
1: oh boy i <laughs> i possess many i have not bought many for quite some time uh just because it's not really, you know, uh, fun, play, discretionary income has not really been a, much of a thing for us for the last couple of years. But I have many. I believe that while packing when we moved a little over a year ago, I did a decent job, Graham, of looking through my many bookshelves and in the packing process separating the ones that I knew that I had to keep and the ones that I'd be okay selling. And I, de- I think I did I- – think i did that with my 118s and 140 thirds. so meant to move here for one year put a lot of stuff in storage expecting us to only be here for a year we're needing to be here for a second year and who knows if it'll end up being a third year too but packed everything away and i don't remember all of them and they none of them are out so there's that but uh, i think i might have a box somewhere here in the closet that is meant to be released to the world for sale so If that's the case, then maybe I'll do a better job of remembering which ones I do have. But a lot of them are older-ish, so a lot of them more 90s and 2000s. And, yeah, not a ton of 2010-era stuff, but, yeah, and sometimes it's odd stuff. Like the, hey, everyone knows that car, like, I love some of those, but more often than not, it's the, oh, that's weird, got to have that. So, um, that's a lot of it too. I will say the one thing I did buy for myself, and this is probably a, uh, uh, kind of early birthday present for myself or whatever, is I saw that there's a new 2020, uh, Lewis Hamilton, uh, half scale helmet, replica helmet. So I ordered uh, that for myself and yeah, was disappointed though, when it arrived to see that it was, I guess, understandably the Australia round one version Uh, instead of the updated black lives matter full. I am owning myself and don't care uh, what the hell the rest of you think. Um, evolution of Lewis Hamilton that I appreciate even more. So, uh, I guess, I'll probably be ordering his 2021 half-scale helmet because that should probably have the one I was hoping this one would be. So, um, yeah, other than that, uh, it's been mostly 143rds, uh, but not a ton of them. So, um, you know, maybe that'll be a fun off-season thing. Graham Goodwin and his 118ths.
0: Well, you know, we've done it before. I mean, it's the uh, the window ledge collection is 164th and 187th, um, and I'm very happy with those nowadays. But, um, but yeah, we can certainly – we're going into a month's lockdown here in the UK. Well, we're in a month's lockdown. Once I'm back from Bahrain, there's not a lot uh, of traveling on the agenda, uh, apart from a trip you'll be hearing about in the coming uh, days and weeks. You want to pick one more to finish yeah, us off? Yeah,
1: I'll pick one, and I'm also going to say – Uh, apologies to our pal jacob bame i counted uh of the 3,023 words contained in the massive in the eight pages of questions we have for this week uh jacob was responsible for over 400 words in the 3,000 that we received and so i apologize that we're actually maybe
0: a jacob Babe special yeah we're
1: not actually getting to any of them which is kind of crappy <laughs> so i'm sorry jacob it's not that we lack love for you brother it's just uh yeah uh send them back in fire them back in if and the more hostile day. and creative the better uh we're gonna we're gonna close with our pal andrew bacca the baxter says it is uh miller and montoya i believe that being robin miller and juan montoya versus roger penske and john Doonan. For the 2020 uh presidential election polls are split and it comes down to one contested track which track is contested and who ends up winning as for <laughs> what the vote is and why it's contested that's up to you uh what well, you are the political expert in this uh two-man uh, endurance yeah, yeah, podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. team here um that's robin miller and pass. montoya versus rp and dunan uh What's the, the track that's being contested? Uh, who ends up winning? And uh, what is the vote for and why is it contested?
0: I think it's a Charlotte Roval, for starters. Ooh! Um, has to be. Um, I think the... Uh, the, the uh, what's being contested here? <sighs> well, between Robin Miller and Juan Montoya, there's two big... Paper bags full of personality, aren't
1: (laughs) Uh, they? Filled with poop and on fire. Yes, flaming. uh, Yes.
0: And then you've got uh, the captain and John Doonan. Very different personalities again. What is being contested there? What not that a metaphor for our times? I think what's being contested here... Freedom of expression is being contested. Ooh. The freedom of expression, and in the corner for saying you should hide your feelings, you should never express them. You should never be forward. You should never have that opinion in public. It's not worth the trouble. Clearly, Robin Miller is your man for that. Uh, that kind of thing. It's it, it, it never. I've never known Robin Miller express himself anything other than in guarded terms. Um, it would be difficult. I think you, you've known Robin for some time. I mean, I, you can't be certain of what his opinion is on some of the, the issues of the day simply because of well, – the, the, how can I put this? The word diplomacy uh, is what shines out. I mean, he would make a great Secretary of State, Robin Miller don't you think?
1: Oh, he would be Secretary of Defense, but he would rename it Offense because he'd just be (laughs) launching every missile we have at somebody, and not because there was any actual military aggression, but, you know, someone said that A.J. Foyt wasn't the greatest race car driver of all time. Uh, All of a sudden, (laughs) the the, the little suburb hamlet of so-and-so was lit on fire and is now raining down... uh, nuclear particles because a s american secretary of offense robin miller took offense to the notion that anthony joseph foight is not the greatest race car driver of all time so yes uh, i would say that robin miller would be teaching kim jong-un a thing or two <laughs> about uh, yes diplomatic international relations through the use of pressing buttons that make things blow up um yeah well i tell you Based on some things that have happened lately here in the U.S. with uh, one of the names mentioned, uh, freedom of speech is certainly uh, not something that one of the candidates there is uh, maybe supporting too much. So uh,
0: There you go. Look at I that. Think
1: the, 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 there you go. I think we're – you know what? I think we're done. And since this is a Bizarro Inversion episode where you opened, I'm going to close – And I'm going to say thank you to you, Graham Goodwin. It is currently 7 a.m., wherever the hell you are. It's not, but it's still really late. Thanks to Lordy, I guess, for uh, letting you. You and I make racket frequently doing the show when he should be asleep. Uh, Thank you to your lovely wife, Trudy. Your amazing, has-his-own-Twitter account, Husky. Granted, uh, he is the, uh, the naming reason behind... Uh, one of the two new prototype formulas, Lamont Daytona Husky so as he should have his own account. Thank you to Daily Sports Car and its uh, fine contributors and readers. Thank you uh, not to me. I don't do a whole bunch. I just kind of sit here and screw up names and say that Steven Simpson's from South America. so uh, anyways, maybe he can become a Mexican uh, citizen just to make sure that I didn't step on my own peepee here. Uh, We're going to say thank you and farewell. Thank you to all of you for your questions. For the third and final time, send them back in. If you really want us to get to them, if we didn't, Cooper Tires, you're awesome. The Justice Brothers, you're amazing. TorontoMotorsports.com, you probably need to step it up a little bit if we're we're being honest here. (laughs) Bell Racing Helmets USA, you're the best. I'm Pruitt. He's Goodwin. We're drunk. We're going to talk to you next week.